greatest boxer of all time, Rocky Balboa, of course, would win every fight in one way. He would persevere and get wailed on for every round except the last, and then unleash the knockout punch whenever his opponent was exhausted. That shouldn't be the only analogy to describe Christ in the Gospel of Mark, but it's sadly the only one that I can think of which speaks more about me than the Gospel writer. But whenever we look at the person of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, we see, at least I do, this kind of relationship that he has with Satan. So in this Gospel, I want in this homily, I want to speak about who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark, who this man is with the unclean spirit, and the three things that the man says in address to Christ. As Christ takes the fight to the devil in this one last knockout round, where Christ then relates to the, un, uh, the man with the unclean spirit as someone who is exercising the devil. So who is Christ? In the Gospel of Matthew, Christ is portrayed as a great teacher. In the Gospel of Luke, he is portrayed as the merciful one. In the Gospel of John, he is portrayed as the bridegroom. In the Gospel of Mark, it's very clear Jesus is the exorcist, the one who drives out Satan by his passion. And so, in the first whatever rounds of the boxing match, Christ endures temptation for 40 days. And then, he goes into civilization, taking the fight to the devil. And he takes the fight to the devil in a man with an unclean spirit. And it's important where this man is. He's not in a brothel. He's not in a bar. He is in the synagogue. This is a man who we could assume probably goes to the synagogue week in and week out. And still he has an unclean spirit. And so what Christ is showing us is how evil within us, we who come to Mass week in and week out, responds to Christ once he comes close. How does the evil within us respond to Christ once he comes close and he wants to remove sin from us? The first question that the man with the unclean spirit asks, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? When Christ comes close and wants to remove all sin and wickedness from us, we start to notice some attachments that we have where we interrogate Christ, what have you to do with us? What do you have to do with my political decisions? What do you have to do with my marital life? What do you have to do with my finances? What do you have to do with my attachment to ordinary things that it seems everyone else is? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I thought that you only cared about our spiritual life. 
And this idea, the church is only about my spiritual life, doesn't affect the rest of my life, is the exact spirit of the Antichrist, as we hear from the first letter of John. The spirit of the Antichrist is this, John says, that we deny that Jesus came in the flesh. That is, that Jesus wanted to touch the material. He became material. He became flesh in this world at a particular time with our humanity. Which is why the church will then say whatever Jesus did not assume, he did not redeem. Whatever he did not assume, he did not redeem. So that he has to touch the political life. He has to touch the marital life. He has to touch the finances. He has to touch everything that is human. Because he wants to redeem all of us. He wants to redeem everything. Whatever he did not assume, he did not redeem. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The answer is everything. He has everything to do with us. But then the second question becomes more pointed and almost sympathetic. Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? We start to kind of realize the nature of habitual sin. And it's this. It's like a woman who might be in an abusive relationship with a man for a long time. Seems like you can't live without them. You've come to destroy us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me explain. The demon almost clings to the person like a parasite. To where whenever Christ wants to remove the demon, the man asks, have you come to destroy us? He identifies with the demon. To destroy the sin that he's attached to is to destroy him. He loves his sin so much, and he's known it for so long a time. There's a man in our patrimony as Catholics, St. Augustine, that we can relate to in this matter. He wanted to convert, but was, although the reasons for him to convert were provided to him, what held him back was a relationship with a concubine that he had for 15 years. And he could not progress past that. He could not let go of that sin of lust. And whenever he is on the precipice of actually letting go of it, this is what he writes. I was held back by mere trifles. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, we shall never be with you again, forever and ever. This is the abusive relationship that sin has made with us, especially an habitual one. It feels like we've been with it for so long. It's been with us in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. But because it's been with us for so long, the moment we try to part from it is the moment it calls out sympathetically. We've been with you all this time. What are you going to do without us? You want, you're not going to survive. You're going to be without us forever and ever. But this lie of loneliness 
that Christ just comes to destroy and not to fulfill is very evident. It seems like when Christ comes into the picture and he comes close, that we're going to be without the things that we love and then we'll be empty and simply pass away. We'll be destroyed. The words of Augustine continue in his book, The Confessions, and they are very encouraging. He says, and while I stood trembling at the barrier, on the other side, I could see the chaste beauty of continence in all her serene, unsullied joy as she modestly beckoned me to cross over to her and hesitate no more. She stretched out loving hands to welcome and embrace me. Christ is continence here, who is on the other side, beckoning, stretching out his hands to come forward. When Christ destroys a sin within us, it's not so that we can be embarrassed or feel weak. It's so that we can be replaced with a greater love, with God himself made man, made most particular in his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Christ only removes sin so that he may replace it with a higher love, specifically a Eucharistic love. And then thirdly, what the man says is an accusation. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And it's an accusation, and why Christ silences him is kind of clear. Although he's right in saying this is the Holy One of God, notice where he says he's the Holy One of God. In the synagogue, where Christ teaches, where anyone in the synagogue could teach. It didn't even have to be a rabbi. I say that that's a problem, and Christ deems it a problem too because he keeps this, what we call in theology, the messianic secret until he suffers at his passion. Because if Christ is identified as a teacher, he's easy to reject. And this takes the form of something we've seen and those that we've grown up with and gone to Catholic school with, those that maybe we've sat on the other side of the pew with growing up and no longer come to Mass. And it's this. The, tr- the faith just doesn't work for me. It's not effective. I've tried it. And so because I've tried it, kicked the tires, I'm doing something else. If it works for me, then I will continue living the faith. The reason why Christ does not want to be simply identified as a teacher is because teachers teach and students listen. And if the students listen and don't like what the teacher teaches, then they'll find another teacher. But Christ really lets his divinity known only whenever he suffers in his passion and where he dies and opens up the gates of heaven. He makes his divinity known when he rises from the dead because Our relationship with Christ is not about how much I benefit from wisdom and insight and how much the church's teaching makes sense to me right now, but whether Christ actually saves me for eternal life. That heaven and hell are quite real. And Christ must then 
be the one who saves me from sin. This is the only way he wants to be known as God. Otherwise, then Christ is competing with Karl Marx, with Sigmund Freud, with Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, Jordan Peterson, and whatever other influencer there is that makes more sense to us in our lives. But Christ is not simply a teacher. He is the Savior of the world, from whom alone can deliver us from sin. And so what can we expect in the synagogue, in the church, as Christ comes close and wants to remove the devil from us? We can expect, all of us, that we will ask him, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? And accuse him of simply being another teacher. But we have no reason to fear because Christ silences the demons as he comes close, as he shares the power of his cross and his resurrection.